Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Good morning. Come on, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Man, what a great way to start our day when God shows up. That's what we want every single Sunday. And uh, so I, I'm grateful, as Julian said, for our worship team, kind of a, helping lead us to that throne and start us on that process. And my hope is in this time that God's going to move in every single one of us, including me, that that continues through our day today, that God has a word. He has something special that he wants to speak to you. And uh, so let's just, I just want to take a second and invite him in. Lord, come. Come in this place, come in this room, come in these hearts, come in these minds. Father, we love you. We want your presence more and more, and we're so thankful for it. And so, Father, we just know that we did not come here for no reason. You have a purpose today. And, Father, I just pray that you would move in a mighty way. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, friends. Come on. We are in the midst of a series, okay, called The Art of Living the creator and his creatives. And this morning, I want to draw you guys into the process, okay, of being a creative, of being an artist. And there, and there might be some of you in here that are thinking, all right, well, we've been in this series for like four weeks, but Scott, I'm, I'm not an artist. You know, I, I'm not a sculptor. I'm not a painter. I'm not a musician. Uh, I cannot mold clay or write a symphony or tiptoe across the stage with beauty and ease. But I'm just telling you, I believe just because you can't do one of those things, it doesn't mean that you are not a creative. It doesn't mean that you are not an artist. Let me give you guys a new perspective, okay? Have you ever been part of building a home? Or picking out a home? Have you ever planted a tree or a garden? Have you had children and been active in molding and guiding? Have you mentored kids and been part of that process? Have you ever loved something and took care of it so much that you were proud to display it? Uh, like men, maybe your lawn or your truck here in Oklahoma or, or your, your car. For women, maybe it's the clothes you wear. Maybe it's the way that you've decorated your house or your apartment. The way that you put on that makeup every week. Come on, that's creative. <laughs> Have you ever made a great meal for your family? Have you ever been part of a job where you designed, developed, maybe even sold something you worked on so hard and you passed it off to the boss or you passed it off to a customer, you were part of the creative process in every single one of those things. So it may be, maybe you might just be an artist. And this morning, I want to take you to the very beginning of the creative process. Why the beginning? Because it's a great place to start. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. You see, every great work of art, there's a beginning. 
God started with formless and empty, and then he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he said, let there be water and sky, and there was, and the division between the two. When a painter sits down, he has his brush, he has his paint, and before him, a blank canvas. When a potter begins to make his pottery and he sits down at his wheel, he has in his mind whether it's going to be tall, large, whether it's going to be big, small, what kind of curves it's going to have. It's at the beginning, the very beginning, that it happens. It's that moment where our vision meets our motion. But it starts with vision. Every great work of art starts with a great vision. A songwriter, when he writes a song, most of the time he has an idea of where he's going. Maybe he wants to write a love song or a joyful song, or maybe he wants to write a song that's gonna be on a summertime playlist. Like, summer, summer, summertime. Come on, some Will Smith. Come on, tell me that's not on your summertime playlist, okay? Everybody has that on their summertime playlist. Maybe that songwriter wants to write a story about Jack and Diane. He's got it in his mind. It's the beginning of the process. Renaissance biographer Giorgio Vasari said this, he said, the great geniuses are searching for inventions in their mind, forming those perfect ideas which their hands then express. Every great artist, every great creator begins with a vision. So what is vision? The vision if you look in the dictionary, you might find something along these lines. The act or power of seeing. I see you, you see me, that's vision, but that's not necessarily the vision that I'm talking about. If you go farther down in the dictionary, it says a thought, concept, or object formed by imagination. Unusual discernment or foretelling. I've seen this definition, it says, the ability to be able to see something before it becomes reality. That is called vision. We have a painting up in our living room, and it says it just a little bit different, but I love the way it says it. It says, ironically, vision is seeing what is not yet there. We have a world full of people that have visionary thinking. You think of the Steve Jobs of the world, who came up with the iPod and brought us into a new era of how we listen to our music. You think of Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy, who at one point thought that far ahead to think, what if there was an online store that you could pretty much buy anything and it would be delivered to your house the same day, or a day later, or at least within two days if you have Prime? I mean, who wouldn't have liked to have come up with that vision, right? He saw something before anybody else did, or at least he beat them to it, one of the two. Then there are visionaries who envision not a product or a system to make life easier, but a vision 
of life that makes things richer for all mankind. The Martin Luther Kings of the world. He said this in his I Dream speech. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Come on, that is a vision. And that's a vision that we're still looking at today, that we're still working for. We haven't got there yet. We haven't meet that place, but it was a vision that he had. Vision looks ahead. It sees what is possible. It sees something that doesn't currently exist, and it gives light to it. New hope into the future. So what happens when there is no vision in life? Helen Keller wrote, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. What would the world be like without vision? Maybe a world of blank canvases. This is a total side note, but when I, in my research this week, I came across this story of this Disney artist named Glenn Keane. He is the one who uh, came up with Ariel and the Beast. He was the artist that penned their design. Well, he has this human phenomenon called aphantasia. And aphantasia only happens in 2% of people. 2%, which seems like a big percentage when I tell you what he can't do. You see, aphantasia is a mind block that keeps the brain from having any type of forward mental imagery, which basically means that he has no vision. He cannot see past what he already knows. It's just not possible for him. There's a picture of a, his first drawing of Ariel. And this was before anybody gave him anything. He's literally just scribbling on, and it's a scribble that makes no sense. But when you have aphantasia, what they do is they give you pictures, pictures of the mermaid, pictures of girls, until you finally have that in your input, and then he could finally come up with Ariel. But here, Ariel, sorry, somebody, yeah. <laughs> exactly. What would our world look like if we all had aphantasia? If we couldn't dream, if we couldn't have a vision. Well, I think if we had no vision, then we wake up every day. We get our coffee. We go to work. We go to work. We go to lunch because we like lunch. We go back to work. And then we get off work. And we go home, same thing every day. We eat dinner, we talk to the family. Maybe we, we sit down and we have a meal. And then we watch TV. 
And then we go to sleep and just do it all over again. That is a life without vision, where your days are just filled with things of no circumstance, doing things that don't matter. If you look at the life of somebody, the full scope, when we have no vision, we're limited. There's no form or function. We're stuck. We wander. We let life create life for us instead of us having the vision to create life. You see, life without a vision is life that just merely exists. But life with vision is a life full of purpose and promise. So my question for you today is, as you think about your everyday existence, do you have a vision? Has God given you a vision for what the purpose and the promise of your life is? Proverbs 29, 18, you guys have heard this verse before. It's used in a lot of popular circles, whether it's leadership circles, you'll see it in books all the time. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says where there is no revelation. This verse in that King James Version, where there is no vision, the people perish, and that's the one that you always see outside of church circles, or you probably see even in church circles, they'll use it out of context. You see, the true meaning of that verse is something a little bit different. It's where there is no spiritual revelation without God's word, without God's voice, without God's hand, without God's vision in your life, the people perish. I love the message version of it. Eugene Peterson, come on, brother, says this. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Angie and I have felt that blessing about a year after we were married. We started sensing this vision from God that we were supposed to open up our home to adoption and felt very called that we were supposed to do it through the foster system. So we started that process of, you know, kind of going through everything you got to do, taking the tests, taking the classes. We finally got our home opened. Our kids were young at that point. Noel was three. Noah was one. We had a vision in our hearts. And that very first child that we got, Vanessa, she, we got her as a baby. We had Vanessa for over a year and a half. We thought that Vanessa was the one. We were going to get to adopt her. She was going to be with us forever. And at the very last moment, and if you've been a part of the foster system, you know this happens. At the very last moment, we're within a month of adopting her. A family member out of Chicago, a great family, who actually has her half-brother that we didn't even know about, comes out of the woodwork, and they ended up getting to adopt Vanessa. It was heartbreaking. But we kept going. 
We kept going with the vision because God had put that inside of us. Over the course of 10 years, we had between respite and kids in our home, we had over 25 kids in our home through those years. The last serenity was with, with, was with us for, the, for two years. And we had her when we started here at OKC Community Church. They wanted to reunite her with her brother who had some special needs. And so after two years, we passed her to a family that wanted to bring them both together. And they had the training that was needed to do that. So the, the vision of us adopting never happened but the vision of us opening our home and caring for over 25 kids in that 10 years happened. And at the end of that, we both knew and we both had that fulfillment of the fact that we did what God had called us to do. That vision moved us to something bigger than ourselves. And when the time came and we knew when we were done, it was just time to ask, okay, Lord, What's that next vision? Vision is everything. And as God is the creator of all things, he wants to be the creator of vision in your life. Because when God imparts vision in your life, it is something wholly different than just a man-made vision. You see, vision is not a new thing to God. God casts his vision all throughout the Bible. You can pretty much look at every story and you can see how God gives that person a vision. This morning, I want to pull out just three quick stories of where God cast vision to a man. And he did it in different ways. First vision was kind of a miracle. Second vision, Jesus did face to face. And the third vision, he used a man to cast vision to another man. The first one, the story of Moses, the burning bush. If you've grown up in church, you know this story well. If you haven't grown up in church and you've never heard of this story, Moses comes across this bush that is burning, but the leaves aren't burning up. And God's voice comes out through the bush, and he casts this vision in Exodus 3.10. If you've got your Bible or you want to open it up, you can open up to Exodus 3. And the Lord says this to Moses. They have some banter back and forth, but here's the vision. He said, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, that is a vision. Bringing an entire people, bringing the Israelites out of slavery. And Moses knows the weight of this vision. Because he grew up in Pharaoh's house, the leader of Egypt. He knows well the chains that the Israelites carry as slaves. They have been there for over 400 years. And he also knows the fight in Pharaoh. And he's not going to just let them go. So this vision was no small vision. And maybe, like Moses, maybe you've been given a vision and you've kind of fought God on it. Well, I would encourage you, if you've ever fought God on a vision, go back to this story again and reread it in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Because basically what it is, is Moses arguing with God. 
And it is very comical to me, particularly how it plays out. The first one, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And then the second one was, so suppose I go to Pharaoh and he doesn't believe me. And then the third one was, Lord, I have never been eloquent. And I'm thinking to myself, if you use the word eloquent, you probably are eloquent. You know what I'm saying? I know that this is English, and that was in a different language. And then the last one, Moses literally tells God, Lord, can you just find somebody else? And it's right after that that it says, God got angry. The funny thing about this is, God gives Moses this vision of freedom for his people. And God is telling him, all you have to do is go. And I'm going to do the rest. It's hard to imagine this guy who just kept arguing with him is the same guy who stands on a mountain and at some point yells, let my people go. Where does that strength come from? How does he go from this to this? When God plants a vision so deep inside of your heart. There's something different that happens. The end result, Moses gets his people, God's people. The second vision is the story of Peter. And you'll remember remember Jesus comes along the shoreline. Jesus is fishing in his boat. And he yells out to him, Peter, throw your nets on the other side. Now, Peter had heard about Jesus. Jesus had already done a couple miracles already, okay? So his, his, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It has lost me. (laughs) His reputation precedes him. So Peter argues with Jesus for just a moment, but then he throws the nets to the other side and the nets are filled. And then Jesus casts the real vision. Peter, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's a guy who's been a fisherman his whole life. And what does he do? He steps out of the boat. God, Jesus, cast a vision that Peter could not pass up. This is a vision that marked the rest of Peter's life. You remember, Jesus says, this is the rock by which my church will begin. And what happens? Peter starts the church. And Peter ends up dying on a cross himself, rumored upside down. That's the kind of vision that carries you through an entire life of suffering. But he does it anyway. The third, the third vision is Saul, the story of Saul. For those of you who maybe haven't gone to church and don't know a lot about Saul or Paul, you'll hear the same person's reference both ways. And Saul is the Hebrew dialect of his name, or Paul is the Greek, or the Roman, anytime he was around the Romans. So at the beginning of this vision, Saul was against Christians. He was a hater of Christians. They called him the destroyer. 
And in Acts 9, 1 through 9, Saul has a meeting with Jesus. And you can go there with me in chapter 9 of Acts. It'll be on the screen as well, I believe. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on this journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It says the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now God casting vision to Saul this time does not come at that moment of a miracle. God actually uses a man named Ananias. And he tells in 9.15, this is what he says to Ananias. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias goes to Damascus and he finds Saul. And he tells him that God has a vision for him. The Holy Spirit comes. He's baptized. The scales, it says, fall from his eyes. And here is a man who is solely going one direction of hatred for the way, of hatred for Jesus. And in a moment, turns and goes completely the opposite direction. Why? Because of vision. Each of these stories show the power of God vision in a life. And if you lean into it, it can literally change your life. So how do we open up ourselves to hearing from God and creating a vision of our life that moves us? Because make no mistake, guys, the same way that he had a purpose for Moses, he had a purpose for Peter, and he had a pur uh, purpose for Paul, he has a purpose for you. He has a vision for you and your life. You may be 20, you may be 80. It does not matter. God has a vision for you. So, three steps for hearing God's vision in your life. Number one, create space. Solitude and prayer. Why do we need to create space in our life? It's about a posture before God. It's about bringing the dreams and the passions that we have to our God and him using those to do something special in our life. If you create that space, you know, I would recommend getting, getting a journal, starting to write the things that you're passionate about. What do you see for your marriage, your kids, your career, 
your relationship with Jesus, how could you be used to love on people? How could you be used to have an impact in this world? I love what Paul wrote in Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why is it important to create space for God to speak to you? Because guys, we all know that there are a thousand voices in your life every single day that tell you what you need to be, that tell you what you need to do. But there's only one who knows you inside and out. He knows you're good, he knows you're bad. He knew you at the beginning, he's gonna be there at the end. And most importantly, he's the only one who knows how to bring life to you, how to get inside your soul and move you to something greater than yourself. He knows what's gonna bring him glory. What did he say in Jeremiah? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Create space in your life to ask God to give you vision. Number two, you have to accept that vision. You have to take a step. For Moses, his first step was literally stop fighting God. Stop putting things off. Stop believing that this is for somebody else. He had to accept the vision that God put in his life for himself. And then he had to take a step towards Egypt. For Peter, it was one step after the other. Peter was quick to it, threw the net on the other side. That was his first step. Second step was just to step out of that boat. Peter was ready for it, and he took on that vision. For Paul, when you think about who he was before the Damascus Road and who he was after, to me it's encapsulated in a verse that he writes in Philippians. He says, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Accept the vision. Take a step. Strain toward what is ahead. Number three, walk in faith and peace. Remember that Vision is seeing something that is not yet there. Walking in faith is believing it's going to come to pass and literally walking like it is. It's belief deep down in your soul. 
When we're willing to create space, accept the vision, and take steps, lastly, we literally can just walk in God's presence. And if we take those steps knowing he is going to fulfill that in our life, it is not by our own power, it is by his power that it happens. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is confidence in things hoped for and assurance of what we do not yet see. Very similar to vision. There's something we don't see, but we have faith, confidence, and assurance that it's going to happen. There's a scripture I used just a couple minutes ago, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. There's a tag on the end of that verse. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Guys, I don't know if you're anything like me. I've probably come up with a thousand visions in my lifetime. And so many of those visions never come to pass because I didn't allow God to be a part of those visions. They were Scott visions. They weren't God visions. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to have a relationship with God, we have to know that God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. My question for you in your life right now is, are you just living? Are you just existing? What is the vision that you have that God has imparted in you for your life? Because when we have a God vision, when we walk in that confidence, walk in that assurance, we know it's gonna come to pass. It starts with vision. We can walk through life existing, wandering, or we can have a God-sized vision. The difference between there and here, this one has form, this one has purpose. You notice on the canvas of life, it fills every corner. It's not just a part of my spiritual life. It's a part of my marriage. It's a part of my career. It's a part of how I treat my children. It's a part of everything that I do. It stretches to the outskirts of my life. That is the kind of vision that God has for your life. But you have to be willing you have to be willing to ask. There are times when God does things that'll hit you over the head, much like he did with Paul. He did that with me. It took a liver transplant for me to finally step into ministry full-time. Don't let that be you. Don't wait for something 
big to have to happen in your life before you let God put that vision in you. And more importantly, taking that step. I heard a podcast this week and it was a lady talking about how this vision that she had, her God vision, she kept procrastinating on it. And she came up with what I thought was a pretty cool way to get past that. Every time she would feel herself procrastinating on the steps that she needed to take, she would just start a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. And she would take that step, no matter what it was. Whatever you need to do to get that vision from God, to start taking steps, to live the life that God has planned for you. Life without vision is a life merely existing. But life with vision is full of purpose and promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so easy in this life with all the voices that we hear, with all the things that we see, to think that life is about money, to think that life is about what we have, what we can get, what we can do. And the thing that I notice, Lord, about all of these stories and the thing I notice about the vision that you've even put into my heart is most of the time of your visions have nothing to do with me and they have everything to do with others. Father, I just pray today that your word would seep into our souls that your hand would seep into our souls, that your words would seep into our souls, and that, Heavenly Father, we might see a revelation of a God-sized vision within us. Father, it can only come from you. And I know deep in my heart that you have it for every single person in here. Your word says that you do. Father, we thank you today that you don't just leave us here to live life, that there is purpose in the journey. You are good. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Family, our prayer team's gonna be down below. Maybe this hit a chord. Maybe you've had a moment over the last few weeks where you feel like you're just drifting. You're just wandering. You don't have vision for your life. I would invite you to come down to get prayer, to start that journey of finding God vision for your life. Worship. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. 
please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com. Thank you.